accomplishments or on our failures or our troubles, uh, you'll find that you'll have little reason to praise God. Because if you find yourself, as many people do, in a situation on one extreme, and that extreme would be simply this, that they look at life or look at, uh, you may look at life as just a series of circumstances or events that uh, you have to handle. You have to resolve. You have to control at some point. And there are many people in, in life and many people that you'll come across that believe that. And they fit on this extreme over here. Life is a series of circumstances in which God is not involved and that we have to somehow work it out and we have to handle it. And if you find yourself in that position, you'll find very little reason, if any at all, to, please, to praise God. Because there would be no reason because in your mind God is non-existent. And then there are those who are on the other side of the spectrum, and they're the ones who flippantly or casually praise God for everything, and you've heard those type of people, where it's, oh, praise the Lord this, praise the Lord that. And they just casually praise the Lord for everything that goes on, not ever really knowing why they do it. And so you fall into two categories. The one extreme, according to the Bible, those who believe in their mind that God is not existent, that category, according to the Bible, is fatal in its thinking. The other category of casually or praising God or, or flippantly praising God isn't as fatal, but it has uh, disastrous consequences as well. In fact, it reminds me of a story that I heard about a, uh, a pastor that loved to ride horses. And um, I don't know, oh, I mean, listen, I listened to you for five minutes, jeez. But it reminds me, for those horse-loving people, it reminds me of a story of a pastor who loved to ride horses. And, and uh, one of the things, he finally got to the point in his life where he wanted to own his own horse. And so he went out to the dealer. I guess I have dealers for horses. <laughs> he went down and went down to the showroom. So asked if he could buy for 100 bucks over invoice. And uh, no, he went, he went to the horse dealer. And uh, he went to buy this particular horse. And the horse dealer, picking up on this guy who was a minister, said, Oh, you're going to love it. This horse is perfect for you. In fact, this horse was raised in a religious atmosphere. In fact, you'll notice that if you say, giddy up, this horse won't move. But if you say, praise the Lord, this thing will just haul, man. It'll just get up and trot. He said, now you also notice, too, if you say, whoa, it won't stop. You've got to say amen to get it to stop. And this minister said, this is the greatest thing in the world. This must be an answer to prayer. Obviously, it's God's will that he buys this horse. So he bought this particular horse. And he got on this horse, and he paid the dealer, and he jumped on it, and he went across the, the meadow, and he remembered what the, what the dealer said. He said, praise the Lord. And this thing just took off and was flying through this meadow. And he was just having a good time, baby. He was just flying through the meadow. He was praising the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And the trees were starting to become a blur, and he could hardly see in front of him. This horse was just moving. And he looked up ahead of him, and there was a wash, and there was a chasm about 200 feet deep. And he was yelling, whoa, whoa. And this thing wasn't woeing at all. And it got right to the edge. And he remember the last minute and he said, Amen. And the thing stopped right, right on a dime, a foot away from the chasm. And as you can imagine, as he always has in the past, he said, Whew, praise the Lord. <laughs> so there are those consequences of flippantly or casually saying something without really knowing why we say it. So what's the point? The point is, I know you guys love a good joke. That's the point, and it gets us going. And uh, the point is simply this. We need to understand, as those who see life as a circumstance or series of events, that God is not involved, they need to understand that God is involved, that God is real, that He exists. But then on the other side of it, we need to see, too, that casually praising the Lord 
without any real knowledge of who he is or why we do it is just as disastrous, not fatal, though it has its consequences. So what we're going to take a look at today and next time we get together is that praising God for all things pleases God. That is what the Bible teaches. Praising God for everything pleases God. And if you stop and think about it, the Bible says that we are created, that you and I are created to praise God. We have been created to praise and worship God. But we have an identity crisis. And it's no wonder that many of us are knocking down counselors' doors and paying their fees to try to figure out who we are. We don't know who we are. And the reason that we don't know who we are is because we don't know why we're here. So we wrestle with questions like, who am I? What li what's life all about? Where am I going? What's the purpose in being here? Why do I feel so unfulfilled? Why, you know, what is this all about? And so we struggle with that. And we seek the answers from people who we believe can give us those answers. And we forget that the Bible answers all of those questions. And it's relatively cheap. You can buy a Bible on sale. You can go see a Bible dealer. <laughs> but you can get a Bible relatively cheap. And the answers to those questions are in the Bible. Who am I? What's this all about? What am I doing here? What's the purpose in life? Why do I so, feel so unfulfilled? Why am I so discouraged and disappointed in life? And the reason simply is this. If you and I were created to praise and worship God, and we're not praising and worshiping God, then there's going to be something missing in our life. There's going to be an emptiness because we're created for the purpose of praising and worshiping God. So if you're not doing it, it's no wonder that you have an identity crisis. Who am I? What's the purpose? Personalize it. You know what? The purpose is this. My purpose in being on this earth, according to the Bible, is to praise and worship God. That's my purpose in being here. And it's a wonderful purpose when you understand it. But we wrestle with it because we're not sure if that's really true. So if life is a series of circumstances and events and God is non-existent in your, in your own mind, then you'll never find that joy that comes with praising God and knowing who created you and why you're here and what He's done for you. And not only what He's done for you in the past, but what He's going to do in the future. There is a hopelessness to life if you don't know why you're here and how you got here and more importantly, where you're going. And so as we take a look at this, the Bible clearly teaches that we are to praise God. Consider some of these as we consider what praise is all about. In Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, we read this. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. New American Standard says that God is well pleased with these sacrifices. Well, what are the sacrifices? Well, they're mentioned and they're broken all out. One is, first of all, we've got to notice something that's critical in our understanding of praising God. You will never be able to praise God until you know what He's done for you in Jesus Christ. God will always be distant. God will always be a non-entity. God will always be abstract in your thinking. We will never know who God really is. Therefore, it's difficult, if not impossible, to praise Him because we don't know anything about Him. We don't know what He's done for us. And once we discover what He has done for us, then that joy of knowledge of what He's done will overflow into praise from our lips. Why don't people praise God? Because they don't have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says it's through Jesus that we will offer continually a sacrifice of praise with our lips because it's only until you come to know Jesus Christ that you'll be able to praise God for what He did. What has Jesus Christ done? He's died for my sins. What has that done for me? It's opened up a spot. It's reserved a place for me in heaven according to the Bible. Because I believe that and trust that, I can have the confidence and assurance that if I die right now, I'll be with absent from the body, present with the Lord, is what the Apostle Paul said. I'm going straight to heaven. Do not stop and go, baby. You know, you're, you're on your way. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did. And if that's not something to be happy about and to shout about and to praise God about, then you don't know what he did for you. That's a wonderful assurance to know what your destiny is. It's a marvelous assurance to know that God created you, that you weren't an accident, that you weren't the product of your parents and their imagination or their desire for you to be here, that actually it was God who put you here. It was God's purpose to use them to bring you here for the express purpose of one day allowing you to make a decision whether you want to spend eternity with them or not. And the Bible says it's through Jesus. Once you know Him, then you'll know why you should praise God. And that's what it says. Through Jesus, therefore, because of what He's done, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. All the time. It's every day that goes by when things are tough and you're getting discouraged and the economy is going into the dumper and there's war going on in the Middle East and there's problems and tragedies all around you. You know what, though? You continually are reminded of what Jesus Christ did for you. We're continually reminded that no matter how bleak it looks here on the surface of this earth, that God is still sovereign, that God is still in control, that God uses evil people, even like Saddam Hussein, God uses people like that to fulfill His purposes, to bring His plan to fruition. There is no one on the face of the earth who's doing anything aside from the expressed, allowed will of God. Even though we struggle with it, we don't understand it, but one thing that we do know is that God is sovereign, and there's nothing going on around here that God doesn't know about, allow for His purposes to bring His plan to fruition. And His plan is that every person that will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Every event that happens in earth is an event that shakes, that shakes people up so that they come to a conclusion of whether God is real and whether Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. God is a loving God. And what He's doing is He's drawing every person that will call upon the name of Jesus to himself. And he's using all these tragedies in life to do it, to catch our attention, to help us realize that we are not in control of our destiny, but God is. Life is not a series of circumstances or events that we have to handle. Life is a series of circumstances and events that are allowed by God or established by God to draw as many people to himself as he can. That's what it's all about. And when you understand it, you can't help but praise God. You can't help but get a little bit excited. You can't help but have a little smile on your face. Maybe just a little crack. I know some of you as you smile, you break your face, it'd fall right before you. But give it a shot, try a little bit, smile. It's okay. And that's what it says. And you know what? And that sacrifice is well pleasing to God. The continual praise of our lips, because we know what He's done for us, is pleasing to God. Continually. No matter what, in all circumstances, consider joy when you go through various trials, knowing that it's a testing of your faith with, which produces endurance. That's what it's all about. And then you go on and he says this, the psalmist writes in Psalm 69, 30 and 31, he says, I will praise God's name in song and I'll glorify him in thank with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and its hoofs. You know what he's saying? I'm going to praise God. And praising God with my lips proclaiming and worshiping Him as God, who's, who has sent His Son to die for me, 
opening the doors of heaven for me. I'm going to praise him. And you know what the Bible says? That it is better than, it's a comparative, or more than the sacrifice of a bull or the sacrifice of an ox. And we know that the soothing sacrifice of, a, of, of an animal that's set up according to what God said in the Mosaic Law was well-pleasing to God. The same way that those in the Old Testament please God by offering sacrifices according to the Word of God is the same way that we please God by offering a sacrifice with our lips to praise God for who He is and what He's done for us. He said, I'm going to continually do it. If you understand what Jesus did for you, you can't help every moment that you're conscious to be thanking God for what He's done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And when trouble comes up, may I just suggest something? Just thank God that that is not the end of you. Struggling in business. Struggling in relationships, struggling in the Middle East, we're struggling in the world we live in. And you know what? Every time we think about it, we should be thanking God that we have a hope, that we have a purpose, that we have a future that the world doesn't have, that we're different, that we're set apart. And we can thank God in the midst of all of that. And you know what? You can't do that on your own. You can't manufacture that on your own. It comes from within. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer gives us the ability to be able to thank God in impossible situations. We're weird. We're different. But it's real. And that's what the psalmist writes. You know what? I'm going to thank God all the time. And he also writes in Psalm 104, he says, you know, I'm going to sing to the Lord all my life. I'll sing praise to my God as long as I live. And may my meditation be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. Do you sing to God? Do you, I mean, do you really sing to God? I mean, even if it's, even if, you know, if audibly it's not the, the greatest thing in the world for other people to hear. But you know what would be a wonderful thing sometimes just to, to stop and think about something from a practical standpoint? But with no one else around, just to, just to sing to Him, just to praise His name, just to, if you can't sing, hum it, because He knows the desire of your heart, just to thank Him and praise Him for who He is and what He's done, for the hope that He's given you. Have you, I mean, do you do that? See, one of the problems that we have, if you stop and think about how simple this really is, there's a tremendous need in our day for people to praise and worship God again. To recognize who He is. To recognize what He's done. And not to be self-centered or so um, concerned about our needs being met. And you know what really becomes evident to me? It's in church situations. That's where it becomes the most evident to me. And let me just explain to you how it works. And I, now I know some of you get offended by this, but I can't go by a week without offending somebody now, can I? <laughs> it's a gift I've got. 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of offense. It's in italics. It's not, it's a, from the spurious writings. Um, but here, I mean, basically, here, here's what it is. We come to church and we say, you know, the message I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't really get anything out of it. The singing, oh man, the singing. You know, I didn't get anything out of the singing. Did you? No, you know, I think we need to really do something about the singing. Because I just, I'm not getting anything out of the singing. Oh, okay. Parking? It's a hassle to park around here. It's a hassle to find a chair. You know, it, it's a hassle for me to find a place to park. It's a hassle for me to find a chair. It's a hassle for me to put up with the crowds. It's a hassle for me to stand in the donut line. It's a hassle for me. It's a hassle for me. Everything's a hassle for me. Can I ask you uh, just a question for a moment? Why are you here? 
I mean, I ask myself that. Why am I here? What am, what's the purpose of being here? Is the purpose to be entertained? Is the purpose to be comfortable where you sit? Is the purpose to have the, the 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is go by really fast? You know, what is the purpose in being here? May I suggest one purpose? And that is you're here and I am here to praise and worship God. See, if I'm praising and worshiping God, then I don't notice it's a hassle to find a chair. I don't notice it's a hassle to find a parking place. I don't notice whether the singing is, is stirring to my soul or not. What I'm here to do is I'm here to praise and worship God for what He's done and where He's brought me from and what He does on a continual basis and who He is and be in awe of Him and to praise Him with my lips and just be grateful for a place to come together with people who I believe are here to do the same thing. And what puts a damper on everything is that you walk in and the first thing you hear are people moaning about seating and moaning about donuts and coffee and I'm here to praise God and they're here to moan and groan. And we're supposed to be here together to do something together corporately, which is to worship God in His presence and who He is. But what we do, we get slammed shut real quick and bubbles come out of our mouth and everything when, when you're here to worship God and somebody else is next to you is here to complain about the seating. I can't worship God. I can't praise Him. I can request that He takes this person out of my presence. But He's saying, why do you think I want Him here? I'm going to leave him with you for a while. I'm going to wait until they have a better disposition. And then I'll call them on home. They're not a whole lot of fun to be with right now. Maybe that's why some of you are still here. Man, you don't want to dampen the atmosphere of heaven now, do you? But you stop and think about it. It's like, you know, we've become an entertainment business. Let's make everybody comfortable. Let's do and say things that will bring them back. What can we do? You know what I think we do? Let's just say we get right back to what we're supposed to be doing. Let's come together because we want to praise God. Because we want to worship Him for who He is and for what He's done. Wouldn't that be just revolutionary to be able to do that? I think it would be wonderful to get together again just to worship God. Now, listen very carefully. Meeting the needs of people is a task of the church. It really is. And it's important. But follow this for a moment. Meeting the needs of the people is a or an important aspect of the church. It is. But it's not the purpose of God's church. See the difference? As a priority, the purpose of God's church is to worship and praise God. A purpose of God's church is to meet the needs of one another. Is to pray. Is to promote the word of God. Is to reach out to the community that we live in. Is to minister to the needs of the elderly and the sick and the poor. And it's to reach the children for the Lord and His love. Those are all important tasks of the church but they're not the task of the church. Because what you'll find is a church who is busy with programs and not praising God will all of a sudden become introverted and it will begin to shrivel up and it will begin to die and the love will be lost because Jesus said the first love of the church is to return to Him and to praise Him and to worship Him. 
and to love Him. And as we're loving and praising and worshiping Him, I can't help but to love you. I can't help it. Because I realize that you are just like I am. And that none of us are no better than one another. But that we are all here by the grace of God. You see how it works? That's the primary function of the body of believers. Is to praise and worship God. But you know what's amazing to me? I know it's, it's been said that some of us got our priorities a little off. Some of us worship our work. Man, we love our careers. We love our jobs. We worship our work. And that we work at our play. Man, we play hard. We got, all the, we got all the toys. We go to the desert. We got this. We got that. We go to the beach. We got all the stuff. We work hard at our play. And then we come to church and we play at our worship. So it's like we got everything's all backwards. And we don't understand why we're having such a problem in our life and why there's such an emptiness or such a frustration to our life. Well, the frustration goes back to we need to just get back to the primary purpose in being here, and that's praise God. Worship Him. John MacArthur writes in his book, Worship the Ultimate Priority. He said, perhaps the greatest need in all of Christendom is the clear understanding of the biblical teaching about worship. When the church fails to worship properly, it fails in every other area. And the world is suffering because of its failure. And as you go through this, we begin to see how true that is and how we, how we suffer because of it. And so what we're going to take a look at is we go through this, just some basics. I mean, you know, just to get a handle on what the Bible teaches as far as worship is concerned. And that's just to ask the question, well, what is worship? If worship is pleasing to God, which we know the Bible says that it is, then what is it exactly that we're to do? How do we worship God? What do we do? What do we say? And what's it all about? And as we go down through this, you know, there, there's some things that, um, that become very easy when you look at it. In, in the Old Testament, there's four Hebrew words that are used. The main one, the shakad, it's used 172 times. And you'll see it always represented by bowing down. It says, that, and he bowed down and worshiped God. In the Old Testament, you always find that to be true. In the New Testament, it takes a little different approach, and there's eight Greek words. The main one is proskunio, which is used 62 times, and it means to kiss toward. So if you put those two together, and you begin to get a word picture, so to speak, of what worship entails, it has to do with bowing down before one whom you recognize that has authority over you, position over you, power over you, maybe title over you, whatever it is that would put you in awe of that person. You would bow down to worship. And we see another word that's used that says to kiss toward, meaning to kiss toward the ring on the hand. And so as a, as a, a dignitary would place out their hand, uh, you would see the picture of a person leaning toward or kneeling down and kissing the ring on the hand of that person because of what the ring or the authority that it represents, the position that they're in. So you put all this together and you can see a word picture of what worship is all about. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 for a second. And I want you to consider what the Bible teaches as far as worship is concerned. But see, while we may recognize earthly authority, there's only one authority, according to the Bible. We may recognize authority in our life, and God says we should do that because submission to authority, we learned, is pleasing to God. That God establishes all authority according to Romans 13. We should recognize the authority that God places in our life. Uh, yet, on the other hand, there's a difference between recognizing the authority that God's placed in your life and worshiping that authority. There's a big difference. Because the husband is the head of the home doesn't mean that the wife has to bow down, kiss his ring, and worship him as God. I know, you know, 
I had to bring that up because I got in trouble that week. And now, does that kind of make it all right? Because one of the guys asked if his wife would do that. Probably in the Simpsons shepherd group, knowing the kind of group that they've got. But, uh, it, you know, there's a difference between recognizing authority and worshiping authority. And this is what you find in Exodus chapter 20. Look at verse 1 for a second and see how God portrays worship in the Ten Commandments. It says, Then God spoke all of these words. Not some of them. Not the ones you like. He spoke them all. And He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it's a word picture to me of what it means to be brought from the, the bondage of sin. The Bible says in the New Testament that believers who put their faith and trust in Christ are held in bondage to sin. That you can't shake that sin no matter how hard you try. It's a habit that you can't break. And you don't have the ability to do it. And so the picture here is that God has taken Israel at this point from the bondage of Egypt, which always represented the domain of Satan, the darkness, sin. And he says he's taken you from sin and he's brought you into light. He's taken you, according to 1 Peter, from darkness and he's brought you into light so that you can proclaim the excellencies, praises, praise him again with your lips. You can praise him who has brought you from darkness into light, who has taken you from sin and brought you into freedom. And he says that, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. And the reason is real simple. Because no one else could ever free you from sin. He was unique. And he was the only one that was able to save us from sin. And he says that because of that, you know what, you shall have no other gods before me. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You want to talk about priorities again? Here's a priority for you, the first commandment. The first commandment clearly tells us, very simply, that we are to worship no one else but God alone. We're not to worship our work. We're not to worship one another. We're not to worship people in our life. We're to worship only one person, and that's God Himself. Because He's freed us from sin. Because He's earned the right to be worshipped by us. He says, and He says, and, and you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, it means you shall have no other gods within my sight. You shall have no one that you add to the program, to the picture, and you shall have no one that you put in the picture who is in opposition to me. There's no one else. I stand alone. I'm unique. I'm God. And you notice what he says? You shall not worship them. You shall not serve them. And you know why you shouldn't? Because I'm a jealous God. Because I am a jealous God. And he says, and there's a matter of a curse that's involved too. If you do, then the effects of sin will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations. And there's also a blessing for those of us who praise and worship God. And that is that, you know what? God will show His loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. There is a blessing that goes along with serving God and worshiping and praising Him and Him alone and nothing else. To have Him on a pedestal with nobody else in the picture, just God alone. And he said, that is what we need to do. And it's important as we consider some examples that I came across in the New Testament, and I want you to think through this with me for a second because it's going to tie in what we've already talked about, and that is that our praise and worship of God must come through Jesus Christ. 
because the only sacrifice or the only work of God that is pleasing to God is what Jesus already did for us on the cross. And so it's through Him that now we have the opportunity to praise God. And now we have the reason to praise God. But because before that, we have no reason to praise God. Some of the most cynical and bitter and, and uh, uh, embittered people that I've ever met are people that have never come to know who God is and what Jesus Christ did for them. There's no reason to praise anybody. Life is a pit for a person that doesn't understand that. And so the examples of the New Testament as we go through it, you see in Matthew, for example, in Matthew 2.11, we see that the wise men came to Jesus as a little child, as a baby in Bethlehem, and they came to him, he was about two years old at the time, it says that when they saw the child, they bowed down, worshipped him. And you know what they did? And they gave him gifts. Jesus was worshipped by the wise men. Also find out that a leper came to Jesus and asked him, and it says that he too bowed down, worshipped him, and said, please, can you cleanse me from this disease that I have? He bowed down and worshipped Jesus. A synagogue official whose daughter had died came to Jesus and bowed down before Jesus and said, my daughter has died, can you please bring her back from the dead? And he bowed down and worshipped Jesus Christ. The disciples also, as they were out in the sea that particular night when there was a big storm, says that, and they saw him and they worshipped him for what he did because he calmed this raging sea. He calmed the storm and just said, be still, and it was still. And they mumbled to themselves and they thought, who is this person that could tell the, the, the environment to be still and the seas were still and the storm was gone? Who is this person that could do that? And so they began to worship him and they said, you are certainly... You are certainly the Son of God. That's who you are. You see, as we come to recognize who He is, we cannot help but respond with worship. It says that that's who He was. A Canaanite woman, the same thing. As she came and her daughter was demon-possessed, and she said, and as she bowed down before the Lord, can you please heal her? Lord, I know you can heal her. The mother of James and John, right before she asked if, uh, God, that, G, that Jesus would set him up in a position of authority on the left and the right of James and John, it said that before she asked that, she worshipped him and she bowed down before him and she asked that request. She worshipped him. The demon-possessed man worshipped him. The women after the resurrection worshipped him. They, they bowed down and they hugged him and they kissed him and they worshipped him as God. Says the disciples after the resurrection, even though they were still doubtful and they weren't really sure yet, you know, they were still struggling with all this, that they still worshipped him. They bowed down before him. And the reason that I brought this to your attention is because it's critical in our understanding of worship, because in Hebrews 1 6 it says, The Father says concerning the Son, Let all the angels of God worship him. In Revelation 22, 8 and 9, listen very carefully because unless you understand this, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But in Revelation 22, 8 and 9, when the Apostle John stood before the angel that had given him the revelation, it said he bowed down and he worshipped the angel and the angel said, Do not worship me. I am an angel. I am a ministering servant of yours. Which is interesting because that's what the book of Hebrews also says, that angels are ministering servants of those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. So he said, don't worship me, get up off your face, don't worship me, I am an angel. He said, you know what? Worship God. Okay, put this together, follow this through. The angel says, don't worship me, you're to worship God. 
The Father says concerning the Son, you are to worship Him. The Bible clearly teaches that all of these people worshipped Jesus Christ as God. Now we got a problem. Because in Exodus 20, we just learned that God is a jealous God and that we should have no other gods before Him. That we're to worship no one but God alone. So if the angel says to worship God, and the Father says to worship the Son, and these people all worship Jesus Christ, then we can come to only one conclusion, and that's the only one that's allowable to us in this particular circumstance, and that is that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Jesus Christ is the eternal God in human flesh. Why? Because God is a jealous God. No one can worship anyone but God alone. Then how can we worship Jesus in clear conscience unless He too is God? Do you follow that? It's critical in our understanding. Jesus accepted the worship of men because it was His privilege and right as the eternal God to be able to receive it. It's critical when we understand worship because now, go back to what we started with. You cannot worship God aside from a relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. He's the same God that you say you want to worship. It's amazing to me. We hear of people all over the world who are praying to God for peace in the Middle East. My question is, what God are they praying to? How can you have Muslims and Jews and Christians and this and that and all these groups of people all praying to God? What God are we praying to? There's only one God. God, know this, O Israel, that God is one. There's only one God you can pray to, and that's the God of Israel. And there's only one access that we have to that God of Israel, and that's through Jesus Christ, His Son. He is God. And we have confidence and boldness to be able to approach God's throne because of what Jesus did. You cannot worship God aside from knowing Jesus Christ. And the only way that you do that is by receiving Him as Lord and Savior. And how do you do it? The Bible says, and for as many as received Him, believe upon Him, call upon His name, trust that He is who He claims to be. Whatever the jargon is that you want to use, it all boils down to that. You have to know Him first before you can ever praise God. Because it's through Jesus that God finds His greatest praise. You wonder why people are confused. No wonder people are confused. We're trying to praise God aside from Jesus. You can't do it. It's through Jesus that we must praise God. And if nothing else comes out of our session this morning, my encouragement would be to understand that the only thing, the only work that pleases God is knowing His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8 that now we have a unique relationship with God that we can cry, Abba, Father, literally Daddy. And we can have that confidence to say, Dad, I want to talk to you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you can talk to the God of the universe, the eternal God who created you, the one who took dust and breathed into that frame that he made life, and you can talk to him on the basis, if you know his son, that you can say, Dad, we need to talk. Dad, I want to talk to you about what's going on in the Middle East. Dad, I'm concerned about the guys and the gals that are there. Dad, I'm concerned about the families that are involved. Dad, I, I, I just want to talk to you about this. Do you realize that's the kind of relationship that you have because of Jesus? As many as received Him, to them He gave right to be called children of God. That that's what the relationship is now? That you can say that? That's a wonderful thought. But there's a danger too, because with, with that type of relationship familiarity also breeds contempt. And we become flippant. As if somehow or another we've earned the right to be called a child of God. 
that we did something for it. And so we have that yo God attitude. Yo God, you know, you got some explaining to do to me, man, for what's going on. And we talk, I know I hear this from people all over the place. You wait till I see God. He's got some explaining to do to me. So, really? You know, and we'll talk about that as we go through this. But let me, let me close on this. I didn't have a chance, and I was, I was doing some extra reading last night, and I was just, th- this whole thought of worshiping God, it's difficult to understand. And it's hard to put into words. And, and I was re- doing some reading in, in uh, C- one of C.S. Lewis's books. It's called The Inspirational Writings of C.S. Lewis. And it helped me to understand something, and I hope that it helps you as well. Because while the examples that we just saw, these examples right here, while these examples of those in Scripture who worship God certainly set enough precedent for us to do so. I mean, the purpose is the example that's left before us in Scripture is for us also to follow and for us to use as an example in our own life. And so the precedent is there and it is established. And if that's not, I mean, and that should be enough, but most of the time it's not. Since the precedent is there, but most of us won't, won't follow it anyway because nobody likes to do something just because somebody else does it. I certainly don't, and I know many of you don't. I like to do something because I understand why I'm doing it. And if there's not a good reason and you can't explain it to me, then you'll never be able to convince me to do it either. And in fact, by the time we're done, I'll probably have you convinced not to do it anymore. But as we go through this, th- there's something that, that, that's, that I struggle with inside about worshiping God, about praising God. And it's the same struggle, and I appreciate the honesty of C.S. Lewis because he writes that. And let me close on this. He said, When I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should, quote, praise God. Still more, I had a problem and found trouble in the suggestion that God himself demanded to be praised. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise more still the crowd of people around every dictator and every millionaire and every celebrity who who gratify that demand. Thus a picture at once ludicrous and horrible, both of God and of his worshipers, threatened to appear in my mind. The Psalms were especially troublesome to me because they continually said, Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord with me. Praise the Lord with people? say, why would you have to talk somebody else into praising him? And why, incidentally, did praising God so often consist in telling others to do so? Even telling whales and snowstorms, etc., to go on doing what they certainly would do whether we told them to do it or not. Said, worse still was a statement put into God's own mouth, whosoever offereth me thanks and praise, it is he who honors me. It was hideously like saying what I want most to be told is that I am good and that I am great. Worst of all was the suggestion of the very silliest pagan bargaining that the savage who, who makes offerings to his idol when the fishing is good and beats it when he has caught nothing. It says more than once the psalmist seemed to be saying, hey, you like praise God? Well then if you just get me out of this mess, I'll be sure to praise you with my lips. Said, and actually in Psalm 54 in verse 6, the psalmist offers an inducement to God to save him from his, from his problems. It says an offering of free heart I will give to thee and praise thy name. Again and again, the speaker asks to be saved from death on the ground that if God lets his suppliants die, he will get no more praise from them because there is no praise from those who are in Sheol. So, so as I continue to read through the Psalms, it bothered me even more that there would be something of a quantity that was placed on praise. Oh God, I'll praise you seven times a day. He said, and that was extremely distressing to me. It made one think what one least wanted to think. And that is gratitude to God, reverence to Him, obedience to Him, I thought I can understand but not this perpetual eulogy. 
nor were matters mended by a modern author who talked of God's right to be praised. And I appreciate his honesty and transparency because there's something within me that says the same thing. God, I got a problem with you wanting me to always tell you how great you are. I don't like telling people who want to be told how great they are. In fact, I'll tell them exactly the opposite. And yet you continue to tell me that I need to worship you and to praise you, and I really struggle with that, and I don't like the picture that I see. I don't like the picture of having to spend eternity with a God who's going to tell me continually to praise his name and sing songs to him and thank him for everything that he's done. I don't like to have to thank anybody for anything that they've done, and so I have a real problem with it. You got a problem with that? I do. Maybe you don't. Because maybe you know what we're going to talk about next week. And maybe you know where this is all heading. But if you're struggling with it, you know what I just recommend right now as we close? Just admit it to God with honesty. God, that's a struggle in my heart. I struggle with trying to understand why it is that you want me to praise you. And I also can't wait to get back here next week to find out. Let's, let, let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to take a look at worship. And if we walk away from here with nothing else, Lord, it's our desire that those who are here and those who have heard these words would see Jesus Christ for who He is, the eternal God in human flesh who came specifically to this earth to offer a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Father, that He would shed His blood as an atonement for our sins so that we could be right before You. God, help us to understand that it's only through a right relationship with Jesus Christ as we invite Him into our life as we allow Him to be Lord of our life and be on the throne that's accompanied by no other, that we can truly begin to praise You and thank You for what You've done through Him. Help us to see that the joy that's involved in a relationship of knowing Christ cannot help but overflow into the lips of praise. And we just thank and we praise You. And I also pray that if we're struggling, as C.S. Lewis was honest enough to admit, with trying to understand how you could ask us to praise you on a continual basis, how you can ask us to give thanks for what you've done, how you can want to be told this over and over again, and yet there's something within our hearts, the sin nature that, that has so indwelled many of our thoughts in, my, in our minds, that there's something within that that just wants to reject and rebel it and say, I, I, I'm not praising anyone. That we can understand through your word through a cleansing of our mind, by the renewing of our spirit, through an understanding of what the Bible teaches, that we could come next time as we look at your word and understand clearly why it is that we praise and worship you. And at this point, we just thank you for Jesus and for his love for us and for his death that he demonstrated yet while we were sinners. And we just ask you to bless us and that we would just continually praise you and worship you, just if nothing else alone, but by understanding of what you did through Jesus Christ. And we just thank you and look forward to getting into your word again to see more clearly who you are. And we just pray once again for the men and women who are in the Middle East, for the families that are here and all over the world, for the struggles that go on, and for the constant reminder that we live in a sinful world and that, quote, thinking peace will not bring about peace. And that praying to gods other than you will not bring about peace. But there's only one hope for this world, and that's the hope we find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we wait for His return to establish your law and your order on the face of this earth. And there is no peace that can be found anywhere else outside of Him. And we just thank you and praise you in His name. Amen.